the biggest, biggest band probably ever that's played here was all of Tame Impala played in in this room where we are. <laughs> in uh, the almighty Electric Toad, which for those who don't know is just a fucking loose jam band. And that night we, we had uh, 24 people on stage. The building turned off because there was too much power being used. <laughs> Dude, we thought we broke the corner gallery. <laughs> Tame Impala and friends broke the corner gallery. Yeah. G'day, this is Living the Dream, a podcast from Gage Roads where you'll hear from people who are all about going after what they love. We'll chat to photographers, musos, surfers, designers, a range of people who are living life their way. All right, chances are if you're into art, music, or just like a good time, you spent at least one night here at the Corner Gallery. For the last eight years, this space on Subi's main drag has hosted gigs, there's been art shows, and to be honest, there's been some pretty wild times as well. But despite the fun, Corner Gallery has faced a few uphill battles to exist and to keep going. And it's really a story of opportunity, persistence, and a pretty good community around it as well. Alex Miller has been one of the two guys behind it since day one. Hey, Alex. Hello. I want to start a little deep. How does it feel when you're sitting inside this place like we are right now? It feels nostalgic. It feels, it's very colourful. Um, there's a lot of memories in here. And yeah, some of the, I look at some of the murals on the wall right now and I just don't even remember that time <laughs> of my life happening. It's just all such a blur in here. Yeah. It's, when you walk around, do the walls bring back those memories? Do they tell oh, a bit of a story here? I see just the tone of colour and I, it brings back memories of that day when that artist was here. <laughs> yeah. It's been eight years. How long did you think this place would last when you first threw the doors open? Oh, man, one month. Well, that's what we were given. Right. To do anything we wanted. It was one month and we had one party and that was kind of it. <laughs> so one month into eight years isn't a bad result. Nearly nine. Yeah. <laughs> what was the idea? What were you hoping to create kind of back then? It all, I think it all, it all revolved around this idea of just having a really big group show. And then we had like just different elements coming into it where we could turn it into more of a party. And yeah, it all, it all started from doing one group show. And then it <laughs> turned into a venue, which does everything. So how did it start? Where did that first opportunity come from? Um, so there's a really cool old heritage building down uh, the start of Rockaby Road and we it was just sitting empty for so long and our friend Cam Campbell actually first saw it and he we couldn't figure out who owned it and it took forever. We were calling the Subi Council, trying to find like old land titles and that kind of stuff. Then I went into this plastic surgery place that was next door. It's just this little office. And the lady's like, oh, yeah, that's Tony. Here's his number. Like, gave it on a post-it note called Tony. And then, yeah, next day we had a meeting with him. And he's like, yeah, that daggy old building. Like, if you want to do something in there, go for it. And, yeah, he was really cool, super open to our very uh, amateur, probably, at the time, pitch to him. And... Yeah, he was just excited to see something happen in the space. And then he kind of said, oh, there's another place up the road that we own as well. 
Um, maybe you want to have like an after party there. Everyone, it's walking distance from here. So yeah, hopped in our cars, drove literally around the corner and rocked up to this big pink warehouse and <laughs> we were like, whoa, what is this? And yeah, we went in and it, it, like no one had been in there for years. It was just a full dust pit. He's like, well, if this is here, if you want to do something as well, like have a think and that's kind of how it all happened. So this wasn't even the original site that you thought everything was going to happen at. This just came from having a chat to Tony. Yeah, that's right. Wow. And you mentioned it was a bit of a dust pit. What what exactly did you walk into when he when he took you over here for the first time? Um, literally like a centimetre of dust off the floor. Like our footprints were just <laughs> in the dust. And I, I'm sure no one had set foot in here for years. And yeah, they, right. there was some random like gym equipment stored near the roller door in that other room. Um, but yeah, it was super derelict. Like the ceiling was falling in and... Yeah, it was pretty ghetto. Put you off or did it no. make you more interested? No, it looked like a challenge and we, it was kind of the aesthetic. Like we didn't really want, once we knew what we were going to do with it, we didn't really want like a polished look. It was kind of embrace the ghetto look and we just wanted to make it feel not very sterile and feel like you were hanging out at your mate's place. Yeah. You know, the aesthetic of the furniture and just like, yeah. So when you managed to like shuffle through the dirt, could you see the opportunity of what you could do here instantly or did that take a little bit of time to, yeah, yeah, to ferment? Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we gave it yeah, a couple of couple of laps with um, some mops and <laughs> squeegees and pushed all the dirt out. And then, you know, we didn't really have a plan at first. We we're just putting stuff here and there and, you know, oh, the, a band can go over there and this can go over here and... Now, like today, it's way different to what that first night was. Yeah, what did it look like on night one? Uh, for anyone who was there on night one, we apologise for the poor layout. <laughs> with the, <laughs> the where the kitchen is, we had um, we cut the doors in half, so it was like a little western like saloon, like saloon doors. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. That's a vibe. And that was the bar. We had one coming out into that garage room, one going out into the where the what is now the gallery and we had just a line going each way like into the rooms and the band was playing where the stage is now and where the bar is now was <laughs> we had like a projection of some Hendrix gig that I had on DVD just on loop on the wall in there it was pretty random but yeah right <laughs> didn't really serve a purpose but Why yeah not? So yeah at that point, did you think it was still just going to be a one-off or did you think, oh, this might have some legs and we might be able to wrangle a few more kind of months out of our new plastic surgeon mate, Tony? <laughs> oh, so Tony's not the plastic oh, surgeon. Oh, he's not the plastic surgeon? <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, Tony's a legend. He, he's the guy that owns uh, the all of the land here. Um, yeah, so she yeah, just knew of him and the company name and all of that. So Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, did you get an inkling, even though you thought it might be a, a one night only thing, that, um, yeah, this might be able to stick around for a while longer if it goes okay? Yeah. Like I said, we had no idea what we were doing with the layout of the place, and the uh, the opening night was gnarly. Like we had the exhibition down the road, and that was packed. And then at like eight thirty or whatever, we closed up there. Me and my partner at the time drove up to here where the corner gallery is and 
literally fucking every person I've ever met in my whole life was out there on the intersection. There was like hundreds of people out there like, Miller, come let us in. And we were like not even ready to open the doors yet. It was. I remember that day it was raining and like there was just so much stuff going wrong and we had no clue like how to streamline, you know, how to delegate tasks and stuff. We were both just handling everything. It was pretty, <laughs> pretty amateur, but we were just having a good time doing it. Uh, but yeah, anyway, we opened the doors, had no float in the tills, had like no, we didn't even have a sound person doing, like mixing the bands. I don't even know if we had, a, we didn't have a PA for ages. I don't even know whose speakers we were using. <laughs> yeah, it was just all thrown together. And then once the owners, um, because there's five, four or five people in the company that own this place, they all came down with their families and they were like, wow. Yeah, they were stoked. They were like, wow, this this place has just been this derelict ghetto warehouse and you guys have just breathed a bit of life into it. This is amazing. Oh, so they were into it. Because they were stoked. Yeah, yeah. So that's were you how a bit it, nervous thinking, okay, we're like young guys okay, in our yeah, 20s? Yeah, we were. I was nervous because they didn't know about the pool that Cam Campbell built behind us. <laughs> so we had a cement truck come in that garage door over there and we were like doing laps with wheelbarrows and that thing's not going anywhere. Yeah, that, and that looks pretty. <laughs> that looks pretty wedged in. And uh, yeah, the owners were like, "Whoa, what the? Is that?" And we'll, yeah, we were like, "Yeah, it's fully in there." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they loved it. They just thought it was super quirky and cool, and they're all great dudes, and they've been very supportive of us and allowing us to do all the stuff that we've been doing here. So they kind of just said that night, like, "Look, we've got another month until this thing's getting knocked down. If you want to take it on and." continue doing this kind of stuff like go for it and then that one month we had a few more parties and then yeah towards the end of that month it turned into six months and then da 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 da, da, da now we're I'm old now <laughs> <laughs> it's been nearly nine years yeah what's it been like having an uncertain future pretty much for the existence of this place you have to be very opportunistic and you have to just be really as well like calculated and realistic with the decision making because you, you know you put everything into something and you're told you've got six more months or like four more months in some instances it's like okay what can I do that's still exciting that people want to come to in that time is there like new stuff I can buy like a new you know, till system and new fridge for the bar, just like things that you need for operating the venue. And then you're, you're kind of weighing it up with the time frame left and it's like, can we just make do with what we've got? So that was kind of a bit of a battle. Um, the other thing was liquor licensing here. Like if we were told early on that we'd be here for that long, we would have got a liquor license, which would have allowed us to do a lot more events. Um, but yeah, I've just read the Liquor Act back to front, so I know how to wangle it. So it's not all fun and parties, right? Sometimes you just got to delve into the yeah, yeah. Liquor Act of 1989 or yeah. whatever it is. That's right. Yeah. There's a couple of loopholes in there, everybody. Just got to go look for them. There you go. First <laughs> first tip of many. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that that was a big part, the liquor licence, but also like just a bit, a bit of a business plan because there's so many things I look back on. I'm like, man, if I'd have known we'd have been here, I would have... There's so many artists who are huge now. And I saw them early on and were like, man, I 
we were here, it could properly properly represent these people and, you know, have more of like a art gallery business model as well as doing the gigs. So it, there's stuff like that I look back on. I'm like, oh, that could have happened if, if we'd have known we were here to do it. On the flip side, though, does not knowing how long you're going to be around, did it give, you know, a positive side? Was there like an energy that it created and, you know, almost a, an attitude of, just got to give everything a crack while we can because we might not be able to do it tomorrow. Yeah, fully. You're just in like survival mode constantly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, what What can we do in this last dying minutes? Oh, let's build a skate park, like a Tony Hawk's level. <laughs> like, you know, that's where all that stuff comes from. Yeah. So for people who haven't walked in here, and like I said at the top, I reckon most people who are into art or music or like a good time have stepped in here at least once. But take us through what's here for those people that haven't stepped through the doors. Paint the picture. All right, we'll start where we are sitting right now. We are on, you're on one couch, which was upstairs at my old house. (laughs) I'm on (laughs) a giant couch. It seats four people. Um, The rest of the room is all different size couches. So the point of all these couches are we have, now we have a lot of sit-down events in here throughout the week, like the weeknights. Um, the ceiling is, we have some, some, uh, <laughs> some bed sheets pinned up to create some kind of parachute yeah. theme. It gives it a vibe, but yeah, they're all different. We'd love to flip this room upside down and like, you know, jump on. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> and then we've got a big stage, um, and we've got a, next to the stage, there's a, a quarter like a pool cutout, which, shout out Cam Campbell, built that. We've got some red velvet curtains back there. Um, so that's kind of this room. It's just it's more of a performance room now. It used to be just the gig space. It does feel like the best share house you've ever walked into yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then in the gallery, we've got, um, we've got some new walls that weren't there when we first started. Um, so that's... Yeah, it's where we have all the art exhibitions. Uh, also, in that room or that space, there's uh, the bar area, which we have collected lots of corner gallery, <laughs> corner gallery memorabilia back there. Um, so it's pretty quirky stuff. It's all just <laughs> precariously balancing on the shelf. Then the other room, which the roller door opens out onto Olive Street, is just covered in murals and uh, there's some plants in there now from my old house. So yeah, given a new life. That's the cool thing about walking through here as well is all the different murals when you walk from, from room to room. Yeah. Who's on the walls here? Can you even remember? Yeah. So there's a lot. Oh, we've had a couple of inter- um, sorry, national artists come through whenever they've been in Perth. Um but yeah, a lot of it is local artists. So this one next to us, which I'm sure if you've been to the corner gallery before, you've probably seen it. It's in the band room. Uh, Rob Jenkins did this, and it's took him about five days with this tiny little paintbrush. Wow! And we all got to paint one of the faces on there. I'm not going to show you which one mine was because it's really bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's all all uh, Perth artists and from East Coast and stuff. So yeah. The walls are also, we had a joke, like the walls are getting smaller because there's, there's like 
20 murals under that one. Oh, really? Next to the stage there. And then there's, like, over that doorway, there's at least 15. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. There's a lot of different aesthetics that, that this room has has ha- uh, housed. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned the, the opening night and how you weren't really sure how it was going to go. It was a wet night and then you rocked up after the, the gallery show here for the party and all your mates are outside and um, you guys didn't really know what was going on. You're just flying by the seat of your pants. But but how did that night end up and what what do you remember about it today? It was such a blur, yeah. We... <laughs> stupid we had like we just made up the capacity <laughs> ourselves we had no idea like, i reckon we could put 300 people in this room and then in that room let's say yeah 200 and like we just had no idea so we we didn't know that that was like regulated yeah yeah <laughs> so there was easily like 600 or plus in inside the venue so you could you could barely like move through the space. It was gnarly, and the the lighting as well. We had like <laughs> we had the fluoros on in here, and the band was playing. Then there was some random light on them. But um, yeah, I just remember like flashes of what it all looked like, and it was much different to what it looks like now. But I just remember at the end of it, the amount of positive feedback that we were getting from everyone was just like just overwhelming. We knew that we'd done something really special and people actually liked it. And yeah. they wanted to, they wanted more. They wanted to come to the next thing. And yeah, I don't know, up until that point, like I hadn't really experienced a feeling like that in my life. So yeah, it was, it was pretty surreal knowing that you'd put something together and people liked it. Was there relief? Uh, yeah. It The relief kind of came with like, a bit of a, okay, what are we doing now? So we didn't want to like, um, we didn't want to get lost in that relief feeling. Already like, thinking yeah, what's the did, next thing. We did something awesome, let's celebrate. Like it was not like that yeah. at all. Maybe like the rest of that night and then the next morning. But yeah, we were fully like, okay, we did something sick. How can we, what's the next step? Yeah, there's something in that. I, I think that's important as well. Looking back, that was a good move to not just like, you know, take all the money that we'd both earned and, like, go and celebrate and go just, you know, like, we were like, let's use this for the next thing. Like, we weren't paying ourselves anything and, yeah, it's a good mindset to be in, I think, especially at that age because you, you see dollars and you're like, I'm fucking rich. Yeah, <laughs> let's go out. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have an idea of where the inspiration for this came from? Because at the top you said, we're just going with it. Where, where did the, the inspiration come from to explore that idea? I don't really know. I think we just both knew what we liked and we wanted to put a thing together where people could come and experience that. So I, I didn't really go to much live music in my late teens. Yeah, right. So I don't really know much about that world. Um, my partner had been around it quite a bit so he was like yeah we should get some bands and do this and then I just really liked art and I liked photography and I liked film and so that was kind of my what I enjoyed and then yeah we I don't even know like we had I have no reference points before that 
of what what I wanted to take, you know, from like different venues or different events I'd been at. I didn't really have much to go off. I was like, let's just put all this stuff in this place and <laughs> people will come. And that's kind of what all the inspiration was. Yeah. When you say all this stuff, I always found that interesting about Corner Gallery that it wasn't just a music venue. It wasn't just yeah. uh, an art space. It wasn't just somewhere to go and hang out. It was everything kind of built in together. Was that always the goal? And did people think that was a crazy idea to bring all these different worlds together for one thing? Yes. I think early on, we there was a, a pretty key character in the story who he was doing a lot of cool stuff all the time. Like he was in New York and then he was in Byron and then he's lived in Sydney and he's just bouncing around doing all these awesome projects. And he was much older and I didn't really know much about him. And he, he was friends with my partner, Jamie, and he was always kind of around in the early days. And I remember he, we had a conversation with him about this. Like we have this place we can put, the owners are cool. They don't, don't mind if we put on a gig sell beers and have some kind of art exhibition in there we want to do all this stuff and I remember so specifically he was like you can't confuse people like that you can't just put all this stuff into one place and then we just did it and it went went it was mental and he was there and he was like I was so wrong like you guys fully did what I was saying you couldn't do for us like it was for me especially because I fully looked up to him as a business person and someone who was, you know, sounds lame, but like doing what they love and finding a way to make that their career. And I had impressed him, not I, but Jamie and I had done something to impress someone on that level. So I was like, cool, that we've got that out of the way. Like, what can't we do? You know, don't listen to people saying you can't do this, you can't do that. Like, if you think it might work, just do it. And how cool of him to turn up and then admit to you and go, hey, I got this wrong. You guys did it. This yeah. is awesome. Yeah. What a gift. Yeah, that was pretty inspiring, just that whole scenario. Um, you know, and he was doing stuff like he, at that time, I think he, he was opening some shop for Kelly Slater in Byron. Like, that's the level that he was operating oh, on. Oh, he's the man. Hey? He's the man. He's like, the man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's he's legend, and so that's so having someone around like that was pretty um, eye opening for sure. Yeah. Um, so thinking back to some of the shows that you've had here, some of the artists that have come through as well, what are what are some of the standouts for you? I think the first like crazy gig. So the, the first night was just insane. That happened. That came and went like in the blink of an eye. That was over. But the first gig that was really, really wild that I was kind of concerned was uh, Converse, like Shoe Converse. Yeah. They did a series of parties around Australia called Get Loud. And they sent out um, a couple of scouts to find venues. It was Tim Barreto and someone else. And they came to the, the gallery and they are like, this is great, we could probably use this or something. And we had no idea what we were in for. Like, they put a lot of money into the marketing for this thing and it was way bigger than we expected. And they sent us the bands that were going to play and it was 
two local bands, um, Ham Jam and Dr. Puss, who I'm sure everyone knows about them. And then this East Coast band who I hadn't heard of called DZ Death Rays. <laughs> and they, <laughs> I, yeah, like, I just so shocked by how wild this show was. I'd not really been at, at a show like that. Yeah. And it's at like our venue, but the problem was Jamie's a filmmaker and I come from photography background. Converse paid us to document the gig. So we had a job to do and deliver. And then on the night, there's just like mayhem and we're so torn. We're like, do we document this stuff? Like, there was a kid I saw on the stage. He like he was crowd surfing, like belly flopping crowd surfing. Yeah. And they just passed him like onto the stage, lands on a because there was glass everywhere. Like I don't know if you've been to a DZ Death Rays gig, but shit gets very loose and a lot of stuff breaks. Yeah. There there's glass everywhere. This kid lands on his face, and then all of his mates behind him jump on top. And I'm looking at this guy like screaming, but it's so loud no one can hear him. Because I can see him. He's just like, you know, three dudes on top of him smushing his face in the glass, slowly like slicing his face open. <laughs> and I'm looking at Jamie across the room like, dude, we have to step in. This is like kind of gnarly. And yeah, the security guards everywhere. No one's doing anything. Because that was the whole point. They were like, you guys shoot and film. We'll run the gig. Right. And they were not running the gig. Yeah. And, and it kind of comes back to you in a sense because it's yeah, your I'm joint. Yeah, like, do we film this chaos, which is great for marketing, great for everyone, or do we go, hey, this is our house. People are getting kind of fucked up. We need to, like, look after this situation. So what would you do? Uh, we just got the security guards and then put our cameras down, like, off to the sides and just kind of helped diffuse and pull everyone out and then um, got one of the guards to take that kid out, I think, to the kitchen and... Yeah, pull all the glass out of his face. But that that was, like, psycho. Wow. Um, that one was a standout. That was probably, yeah, one of the first, like, really chaotic gigs. But then, I mean, one of the most memorable ones was before that opening night, we had, um, we just texted, like, 20 people. Like, hey, we've got some bands playing tonight. It was uh, a, li a very little-known East Coast band who happened to be here Perth that night and Mount Mountain played we had maybe like 30 or 40 people in here it's just like close mates we were just like the whole point of it was to show what we'd done and what this opening night was going to be so they went off and told all their friends and I think that's why the opening night was so big um but yeah that band was King Gizzard and they played in here <laughs> huge yeah Wow. There's like a 10 second clip that I filmed and it's, you can see like the two drum kits and they're all playing. We didn't even have a stage. It was on the floor and we had this effects light on the band and it was like, um, you know, like uh, when you look at a pool at night and it's got ripples, it was yeah. just a circle of that, like on the band. <laughs> so trash. <laughs> yeah, Gizzard played here. We hung out with them all night. They were sick. And I mean, that relationship led to like another, uh, there was this, two houses next to each other just up, up the road here in Leaderville. And when the tenants moved in, there was no fence in the backyard and it was two different groups of friends that we had. It just turned into this like mental party house, two houses. But yeah, that uh, the shed there at, on the house on the right, they have this big shed out the back and there were some gigs in there and 
like we got the gizzard to play in there that's epic um yeah and there's a lot of bands that came out of those houses although those houses play a key role in the story of the corner gallery because i remember anyone who's been here early days we would all go over there to southport um i mean porn crumpets first album was written in that shed wheelers of oz was born out of that shed like so much perth music happened there that's all those dudes and like everyone was partying here as well so it was like a really cool little community um but yeah then that kind of just wrapped up when i don't even know who lives there now Uh, yeah they probably don't know that they've got this little piece of you know west australian music history just in their backyard hopefully it's still there yeah. No, they've cleaned it up. There's like nice plants out the front. They've like <laughs> you've done a drive by. Yeah, yeah. Literally like a thirty second drive from here. And after all the gigs here, we'd all go there and they'd just be jamming like all night. And all the artists were there hanging out that night. DZ played like they went there. It was really fun. Got a knack for finding these little known East Coast bands <laughs> yeah. that just blow up. Yeah. You mentioned a few of those East Coast bands that had found their way over here maybe when they're a bit lesser known as well. You got a knack for it, as I was saying. But but what about locally? You touched on a few. Are there any kind of local bands that I don't want to say got their start here, but maybe graced the stage before they are what they are today? Uh yes. There was Corn Crumpets, one of their first gigs early on was here. I think the first gig they ever did was at Mojo's, but yeah, early on they were playing here a bit. SRB Southern River Band, for those who don't know. Yeah, Mount Mountain, obviously. The biggest, biggest band probably ever that's played here was, I, fuck, I'm like 90% sure, but I think all of Tame Impala played in in this room where we are. Right. <laughs> in uh, the Almighty Electric Toad, which, for those who don't know, is just a fucking loose jam band. I think there's a few core toads, but then there's all the, the toad offshoots. And that night we we had uh, 24 people on stage. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's not a big stage either. Well, <laughs> no, it wasn't that stage. It uh, was also up on the pool all around the room. This whole place was... The building turned off because there was too much power being used. <laughs> Dude, we thought we'd broke the corner gallery. You We're broke like, the clock. Tobin Parlor and Friends broke the corner gallery. Yeah, so that was wild. I remember um, my friend had texted me, Matt Crockett, what's up? Said, uh, do you know Kevin Parker's playing the git tonight in the Toad? <coughs> and I was like, oh, cool. Like I, I knew who Tobin Parlor was, but didn't. I never listened to the music. I Is this early doors Tobin Parlor? No, I'll tell you the exact time this okay. was. This was, I think, May 28th, 2013, this gig. And we... The, so, Lernerism came out in late 2012, I believe. So, it's like peak Lernerism time. Kevin's, like, obviously very well known. I had no idea because I just wasn't interested in that band at that time. They're, like, my favourite band now and that's one of my favourite albums. But... um. Yeah, I remember at the door, I was standing there and the door girl was talking to him and I think he didn't have a guitar with him, but he was trying to say he was playing in the band and he had this sick jacket on. It had these like crazy button things that looped through 
little loopholes. And I was like, that jacket's dope. I was like, he's all good. Like, yeah, he's probably playing tonight. And she was like, you sure? Like, yeah, yeah, let him in. He's like, oh, cheers, man. That was the only exchange I had with him. And then I remember Jamie was like, dude, because he was a big fan of Tame at that time. And he was like, man, fuck it, the Tame guy's here, like Kevin. And, um, yeah, there was like a few photos of him that night. But, um, yeah, I remember Gum was graphing the uh, toilets. We had a pretty loose little hallway in there. We had uh, free spray cans and paint pens to whoever wanted to decorate it. Of course you did. Yeah, there's a photo of Gum writing something on the wall. Um, yeah, that was loose. I just had no idea who, <laughs> you know, who, like I knew the band, but I didn't know who he was. That's wild. So what did they play? Do you remember? Oh, it was just like three chord type shit. Like yeah. just very, really loose. Man, there was like six guitars, two bass players, like two drum kits, like like people with maracas and all sorts of stuff, tambourines, and then like three guys singing all wearing like footy shorts. It was insane. <laughs> like it was the coolest thing. And oh, that was a really special night because they, I remember those dudes, like the core toad guys were like, man, this, this is the biggest toad we've had. <laughs> what a compliment. Yeah. See, best ever share house. Yeah. There you go. What a night. What a story. There's plenty of them too. What about on the art side? Because you said before this, you weren't so much in the music scene. You were more photography and art and that was a bit more kind of where you were coming from um what are some of the the artists that have been here for shows or um yeah even just been here to maybe paint something on a wall that are really memorable for you oh man there's so many too many yeah <laughs> oh i couldn't even for fear of leaving anyone out too yeah hard. i can't leave anyone out yeah uh, i think um i mean the most probably well-known artist uh anthony lister painted a little face out the front that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, we had, yes, yeah, so many. There's a lot of people that were from Perth who now live in Melbourne. Um, like the Loser Unit guys, they were always around the corner gallery early on. Yeah. Another part of like what you've done here has been around charity as well and having events that have supported, you know, different charities, whether it was, you know, the bushfires back in 1920, I think it was off the top of my head, and a bunch of other things. 1920? Uh, like in 1920, <laughs> I meant 2019, 2020, yeah, yeah. but 1920. Yeah, wow, that yeah, is no, that is going back a while. Not, not that 1920. Um, good pickup. How did that come about, and and why was that something that was important to you guys here? Uh, the bushfire one, I just felt guilty. Honestly, like I was like daily just opening my phone. I just see, you know, very graphic uh, visuals of, you know animals and the amount of trees that went and I was like I have this place just sitting here I really should and that actually was when we reopened in the most recent re- <laughs> incarnation that was the first event that we did the bushfire relief uh, group exhibition and yeah, we raised a bunch of money for that that was great um, but yeah the, the charity thing uh, we've just always kind of built that into the shows here so whether it's like the live art exhibitions that we do each piece or each artist chooses a charity and we put 10 percent from that sale into whatever they choose i think the charity thing it's like it's good to do because you're 
building an incentive for the buyer to commit to that transaction. So you are helping the artist a little bit by creating that sale for them, but also like it just feels good. It's like we have this place here, we have an opportunity to do that and it just feels nice like knowing that you're contributing to culture by doing what we're doing here but also contributing to something that you know it needs funds to to do something whether that's research or whatever but yeah it's was that tied into um that eight inch blunt show that you had recently as well yes eight inch blunt (laughs) yeah Uh, that was wild yeah so that's the charity well, wasn't actually a charity. It's a um, indigenous-owned uh, skateboard company, and they are located fifty k's southeast of um, Alice Springs. Right. And yeah, Nikki Hayes is the guy that owns it. And what he does is he's built like a little skate park in like a corner of their big like sports center there. It's just like a big tin shed, basically. But he's um, getting all the kids skating. And the whole point of it is, is just to introduce skating to a community that's super remote. But it's giving these kids something to look forward to. It's giving them a way that they can express themselves. And it's, in some instances, maybe giving them a way out, like to bigger cities or opportunities in life, a career maybe. So uh, what he does is he just, he sells boards basically and merch. But the proceeds from all of those sales is what he funds the um, First Nations skate tours with. And that's uh, a program that he runs annually. And they take 10 kids from the community and they go out to the capital cities. So they go to like Brisbane or Melbourne or whatever and they go to all the skate shops there and they introduce all the kids to other kids their age they do like demos at the skate parks they go take them surfing and they've got videos online of um, some of the previous tours that they've done it's just insane like these kids have never seen anything but where they live you know in the middle of the desert there's a few buildings there nothing crazy and then they're in the city and there's other kids their age who aren't judging them because maybe they're a different colour and it's like they're in this very inclusive environment that skateboarding has kind of given them. And, yeah, just the when you when you see it, it's just, yeah, it's pretty magical. How did you, like, get in touch with those guys? I saw a interview with Slam magazine that he had done. Slam is the Australian skateboard magazine. And I was like, fuck, that's awesome. That's so cool. I love that. I love everything about that. I love that he's not doing a board company to, you know, like there's purpose behind it. it. And, you know, he doesn't need to do that. but He's chosen to do that. And that's what his company does. So it was always on my radar. Um, Spin effects, skateboards is the company. And when, when we decided to do this eight inch blunt thing, um, I was like, that's the guy. That's where we're going to put a portion of these sales too. And I just cold called him and he was like, sure, sounds good. Let's do it. And then he has like a business manager there. So I was just talking with her for most of it. And yeah, she managed to line up a um, original dot painting board 
by an artist called Mary Oliver, who's out there in their community. And, yeah, we did a silent auction on that board. Um, I think it sold for $1,300 on the night. And we sold, yeah, I think it was 10% of all of the sales from the actual exhibition we donated to Spin Effects. And um, I remember I emailed the business manager. I'm like, hey, I've just done all of the breakdown of all the sales and, like, this is what we're giving you. And it was 1500 bucks, I think, or a little bit more or something. I can't remember. And she was like, are you fucking kidding? That's amazing. Like, thank you so much. Like, we don't even know you, but, like, thank you so, so, so much. Here's Nikki's um, new number. Give him a call and let him know. So I call Nikki and he's like, hey, man, what's going on? I'm like, dude, we just, I just sent you the money. And I told him how much it was. And he just went silent. And then I was like, yo, are you there? And he's like, man, I can't even thank you enough. Like, we're, that's, that's like green light this next uh, tour. Like, you know, that's, that's insane. You're just going to give all that to us? I'm like, yeah, dude, that's the deal. Like, he, yeah, he was just blown away. How good. And that feeling alone, I'm like, I can't, I can't get that feeling from anywhere else. You know, like, I just helped that guy, I helped all these kids just through all these people coming together in this building to celebrate skateboarding and art and music and raising money to give to them so they can provide opportunities to these kids. So, yeah, it was very special. There was all sorts of artists in there. There was, we had uh, Jimbo Phillips, who's Jim Phillips' son. He did the Screaming Hand for Santa Cruz. He gave us some signed works. I actually bought one. I was like, I just need to. <laughs> Sorry, everyone, but... Perks of the job, yeah. yeah. Um, then we had, uh, you know, artists from London sent something over. We had Quinton Debris. He's like a high fashion photographer, but he's really involved in the skate scene, and he sent these sick photos of um, just, like, his crew skating through New York, like, these really cool film photos. Um, yeah, Rafael Gonzalez from Spain, then... Yeah, like all these people around the world. I was just like cold calling everyone like, hey, we're going to build a skate park in the gallery space, skate it, then hang up the artwork. So there's white walls are now like trashed. There's like wheel marks and shit everywhere. And it's going to be, it's going to look like a very weathered space. And everyone was like, man, that's awesome. I'll send you some work. So it wasn't too hard to line that up. But um, yeah, it was all different mediums we had photos we had collages from morgan campbell we had yeah broken boards with stuff painted on them and all sorts of stuff epic Mm. when did you know that this was going to be around for a bit longer was there a point where you knew that this was gonna you could look a little bit past just the next show and did that kind of change your outlook on on what you're trying to do here um at one point the gallery was closed. We had a closing party and yeah, it was all all wrapped up and nothing when was that? Might have been like twenty eighteen yeah. or something. I don't even know. But anyway, that it was all closed up and um I quick detour. I met Cal Kramer. What's up, Cal? You're probably listening to this. Uh in that room over there. But he thinks that we met at uh Soggy Bones gig down at the skate park <laughs> when he was playing with Morgan, Morgan Bain. But uh, so anyway, I met Cal here and we started working together in music and 
managed Southern River Band for many years. But when when we went our separate ways, um, it was all good, by the way, everybody. No beef. Me and Cal love each other. Uh, we went our separate ways, and the next day I hit up the owners, and I was like, what is going on with the gallery? It's been closed for nearly a year now. All of this was still in here, by the way. PA yeah, was right. still here. Yeah. Um, the bar was all there. Just was sitting empty. And they were like, look, something happened with the plans or, I don't know, there's been a delay in something. So you've got about eight months if you wanted to start using it again. Like, definitely, you've got that much time. That would have been... I think March 2019, I think that was. And now now it's been like nearly two years since that's happened. Wow. Yeah. Where's it at now? <laughs> you got this place that's always been on the brink of extinction, but Ugh. how's the future looking? The dying question. Do you mind if I open a beer? Well, no, I do it. They're sitting right there. I can't believe you haven't cracked one yet. Either. I didn't know if it was allowed, but I guess oh, yeah. no one can see us. Totally. They don't know that that's a oh, beer. Yeah. It could be a can of Coke. <laughs> We definitely encourage these chats oh, whilst having a brew. Everybody, tell you what, that that single fin, cranking a little fin. I like it. Um, can I have one too? Am absolutely. I allowed? Absolutely. Yeah. Can you steer the ship? Thank while you. You're yeah, I reckon I can handle teams. it. Um. <laughs> what was the question? What was it like now? Yeah. So you've had this place that has almost been day to day, month to month, and then you've had these longer periods, right? And you've been around for eight, nine years, but. There's this, you know, hovering extinction that's kind of <laughs> loomed over it like a bit of a dark cloud, right? But yeah. where, where are you at now? Do you know how long you have? Yeah. So as it stands, I think New Year's Eve here is going to be the last gig ever. Wow. So I will be moving out in the first week of Jan and we were told that last week, I think. So this is pretty fresh. Mm. No wonder you needed to crack a beer <laughs> to yes. give that, that information. <laughs> yeah. How are you feeling about that? Uh, it's a mix mix of emotions. I think I'm kind of stoked for the owners because it's been they've owned this place for over ten years and they've just had like setback after setback. Or I know nothing about <laughs> developing and apartment building and stuff like that. But. So is that what has always been on the cards here? Because this spot, obviously, in Subi, yeah. on the main drag. On a corner, when you look around, you know, there's apartments, there's new developments, that kind of thing. Has that always been the yep. the threat for this site? Yeah. They are able to build, but they need to do it by a certain time next year, from what I understand. Okay. Like I said, I know nothing about this stuff, but this is from the conversations I've had. Um, yeah, so it's, it's all going ahead this time, and first week of Jan, we're out of here. So... Y- you said when I asked you how you felt about it that you were happy for the owners. You know, your first thought is to yeah. go see what it means for someone else. Might tell us a little bit about you, I reckon, Alex. But how do you? How are you feeling about it? Um, a little bit somber. A little bit. I'm actually like kind of relieved in a way mm-hmm. because I've just been living this like uncertain like lifestyle for so long. I just I can now see the finish line to this place. So I'm like a little bit relieved, but also sad that there's not somewhere like this in Perth that young emerging artists can use as a platform to find themselves, show 
their stuff and, you know, I don't really know. Um, there probably is other places, but maybe I don't get out enough, but I don't think there's, there's anything kind of like this around. So just knowing that this as a venue and as a platform won't exist for artists is like a bit of a bummer, but. I don't want to get too sentimental because I reckon you summed up things pretty well when you were talking about when the first ever party here wrapped up and how you were like, well, that was cool for a night and maybe for the next day when I had a bit of a hangover, but then our minds instantly went to what's next. So I think you've always kind of got that vibe, but now that you most likely have this finish line in place, is that what you're most proud of for what you've done here? The opportunity for artists and that community across Perth to have somewhere to show their wares and, and hang out with their people? Yeah, I think I'm proud of proud of a few things. I think, yeah, the first one is just the what this place is built on, like the fundamentals of it. Like we never strayed away from what we set out to do. We've had some pretty amazing artists and bands playing here. That's kind of surreal to think like... I mean, I had a little studio next door for a long time and I remember sitting up at night trying to work and listening to the porn crumpets trying to play cornflake over and over again <laughs> like fucking hundreds of times just that opening bit and like all these different songs they were trying to because jack had kind of put all these songs together and then he had the band to show it to and i just remember like that's such a special moment like that album is people from perth made that album like that's crazy so yeah things like that I don't know if anyone will have memories like that in other places or spaces, but yeah, so I'm just proud of all of the things that we've accomplished in here and artists that we were able to provide a platform to, if that answers the question. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. So what's your advice to someone who might be like, you know, 21, 22-year-old Alex, whatever you were when you, you crank this up, who has an idea? Like what what's the advice for those people to just get into it? Well, I, I did the maths the other day. I was actually 20 when we got the keys to this place. Wow. Just so naive. I had no idea what <laughs> was going why, on. Is that why it kind of worked? Because you were naive? Just, yeah. So another thing, which I, I've said this to a lot of people who are starting businesses and going through the whole council process, I'm like, the amount of shit that Subiaco Council made us do somersaults and like the amount of hoops they made us jump through if someone had laid that out to me early on i probably would have gone oh i don't know it's probably easier just to keep my restaurant job it's probably easier to get paid you know 500 bucks a week or whatever i was doing working all those hours for someone else it's probably way easier just to do that and chill but if you just, like, if you commit and do the thing that you want to do, like, you're going to make something really special. And I think that's kind of, that's something that a lot of people might be scared of is leaving that comfort of, like, I've got this money coming in weekly, I'm chilling, I can pay my rent, I can still afford beers on the weekend, still do all these things. But it's like, you're not really, like, contributing to culture. And I guess that's, for me personally, that's what I wanted to do. And, like, working at a restaurant, is not contributing to culture at all. So I was in a place where I'm like, I'm ready to bounce from that. Whatever I have to do, you know, didn't 
pay myself, didn't eat for years until we finally got it to a place where we were making money to go, cool, we can leave our, our jobs and do this now. You know, you, you must look back a little bit and go, oh, thank God I was that naive just to have a crack at it. Dude, there's so much shit that I wouldn't have done, a lot of bands wouldn't have done, a lot of artists wouldn't have done if this place wasn't here. I can guarantee you that. Like, I met Cal in that room over there. From that night, I was like, fuck, this guy's hilarious. He's so annoyingly funny. I like him. And then we, he saw in me, like, some kind of business drive and, you know, he saw that thing where I was explaining before, like, leaving that certain job income and just taking a punt on something and then cal you know wordsmith that he is he talked me into taking a punt on him and like we toured the country relentlessly we from that meeting like we have contacts all around australia we have memories all around australia we have all these festivals we played that wouldn't have happened if corner gallery wasn't there yeah and like for me, yeah for me like this place has just created so many other um avenues that I can go down and people that I've met, you know, or even around the world. Like we had something that was on Hype Beast recently. Like that's what? It's wild. Yeah. Like the and that all comes from just taking that punt early on, just going, fuck it, I'm gonna do this and like th- when I was twenty one years old, I won't say the number, but I was in so much debt, like nearly twice my age money dollars but thousands and i was like i'm never going to see this money again we've this is all the things we need to pay for like council forms like exit signs just stuff for the venue just to get it up and running and like at that age i had no idea about that shit and i was like no real roadmap to like guide you through that so yeah, just doing doing all that stuff and just hoping that it's going to come back. Like you will be right if you do something. Yeah, the point is, yeah, you just have to take the punt if you're remotely sure that this thing's going to work and people around you are backing you. Like yeah, the universe will just guide you through, and just like peace of mind, knowing that that really hard decision you made early on has paid off. Like you have contributed something to culture. I remember a couple of weeks ago, we were having a chat with Ollie McDonald from Ollie Clothing. And he was saying that a lot of people see where they're at now. And they're like, oh, how good's that? Like, you're just living the life. You're the boss, probably making heaps of money. <laughs> um, you know, everything's amazing. Oh, I could just go out and do that. And he, he goes, no one saw the nine years before this year where I was living in this really, you know, shitty house. I had to sell my car to pay a tax bill. I had no money. I couldn't do anything. You know, there was like a grind over a long period of time before this, you know, yep. perceived external success. And it's similar to what you're talking about now as well. Like it's easy to kind of look at what this is and what it's been. And be like, oh, that's cool. I'll just do that. But there's, you know, a lot to get to that point. Yeah, for sure. And that the physical hours is really important as well. Like, you can spend all the money, you can talk to all the people and get all the advice you want, but, like, you physically need to be, I don't know, in my case, I'm sure Ollie was the same, you physically need to be here doing things like building shit, like, 
yeah, some of the hours that we clocked up here is just like insane. And I think I heard recently, um, it was on that Defiant Ones doco. Yeah. With Jimmy Iovine. But they're talking about um, one of the albums that he was producing. Um, and he's like, there's two people in life. And there's the people that once it's five o'clock, they're done, they're packing up, going home, and that's it. And then there's people who just stay until the fucking thing's finished. He's like, you need to find those people who just stay until <clears throat> whatever it is you're doing is finished. Otherwise, you're not going to get anywhere. And, like, that's such a simple thing to say, but it's so true. Like, Jacob, who, um, he's got the little workspace in there. Like, this place would not be what it is right now without Jacob. Shout out, Jacob. Uh, he, the amount of hours that he put in just because he wanted to be here and he wanted to see this place be the best that it could. Like, it's, you have to have those people around to do it as well. So it's like, yeah, it's definitely a joint effort. I reckon um, those, you know, those two scenarios that you talked about, it tells you yourself about whether you're into what you're doing too. Yeah. So if you're doing something and you're counting down the minutes just to piss off, yeah. that probably tells you maybe that's not for you. Whereas if you're really willing to give up more time and stay there until the job's done, then you're probably, you're probably in the right spot. Yeah. 100%. I mean, I don't know how sustainable that is, but I think it might tell you everything you need it's, to know about yourself. Yeah. It's very testing on relationships. It's very testing on, you know, mental health. Um, fuck me and Jacob did, I won't say how we did it, but we were in here for over 72 hours. I didn't leave these doors for three days and we were up building all those walls in there, doing stuff like you have to want to do it. Yeah, that's uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. And if I was like, oh, I'm just going to do this until five o'clock and go home and have beers, like, okay, well, the finish line is now fucking two months away. Yeah. Like you can't work like that. So uh, you might not, and I get you're not like an authority on this, right? But, you know, you mentioned the effect on like relationships and mental health and stuff like that. How have you had to navigate that? How have you learnt to navigate that balance between I'm going to give everything to this thing I give a massive fuck about, but then also I need to make sure that these things are okay? I mean, that's probably why I'm single right now. <laughs> I can't do that. Did I just get too deep? No. Nah, I, I, I mean... I just think it's a really interesting question from someone who's going through it because yeah. it's it's... It's not easy to say like it's you can talk about all the work that you've put in but there's this whole other side of stuff that's really important yeah too that you probably figure out as you're going yeah for sure and i think as well like if so if you're doing something that rigorously and that you know you're spending that much time doing it and say for example you are in a relationship and if that person doesn't appreciate what you've done then that's a red flag. You know, <laughs> as soon as you wake up, first thing you think of is like, all right, I've got this many thousands of dollars to make before this building gets knocked down to pay off all that stuff and do all the renos. So, like, that's just all that shit on your mind constantly, plus you add the physical, you know, labour that you're putting yourself through to build all these things and do all this stuff. Yeah, I think you just... You have to really be aware. You have to read the room and just kind of weigh up what is going on around you and is it 
now I look back on it, this is what I should have done. Is it important to um, just like put the brakes on and just chill for like, give yourself a day? Like the building's still going to be there tomorrow. I think that's what I should have done a lot more. Like running, you know, an event on night one, you just don't know until you know. Yeah. Right? And you kind of figure it out as you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think as well, there's, because we do do a lot of, um, you know, mental health awareness events here. So it's something that I'm passionate about using the arts to that area or that space. So I'm kind of, I'm pretty aware of it and I think my mental health is pretty good, but it is a thing and you really need to step out of your sitch to go, I think I need to just reassess everything that I'm doing right now. It's good to do that and I find myself not doing that quite a lot. Yeah, take a second to just assess yeah. things from the outside a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Maybe even ask some people that you trust what they're saying. Yeah. And that's the thing, like I had so many people around me being like, dude, you're not coming to, you're not coming to beers anymore. You're not doing this. Like we don't see you. And like, cause this, what I'm, this, sorry, this specific situation I'm talking about was the course of like, maybe like six weeks or something. Yeah. And it was gnarly. Like I was done by the end of it. <laughs> um, but yeah, through that time, I just had so many people being like, man, you need to chill for like a day. You can't. And I also, my gearbox in my car had shut itself. <laughs> so I was riding from my place in Netherlands here like every day and then riding home at like four in the morning. Jeez. Sleep for like an hour. It was, yeah, pretty brutal. Yeah. That's the stuff people don't see, right? Yeah, exactly. But then in your head, you're like, this needs to happen. So I'm just, you're just in you know, fight or flight mode, really. Great that you've got some mates around you who can go, hey, man, take a second. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate everyone that, that spoke up and kind of voiced that to me because, yeah, just uh, looking back, it makes makes you feel like you're surrounded by good people, which is very important. Hey, you mentioned your good mates at the council. How much of a learning curve? <laughs> what do you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, more generally, right? But how much of a learning curve was it going through the process of this place uh, over the last eight years and dealing with a council, dealing with Dude, regulation? Massive. So we, like I said before, if someone had laid out that amount of work, like I might not have done it, but I did it. Right. So just a brief summary of what happened with our council approvals that we needed to get. So we were just ramming this place with like hundreds of people every weekend and just having like these really loose parties. Everything, we had a liquor license for each event. The liquor license uh, officers, they would come down and they'd just stick out like a sore thumb and, you know, they had like baggy blue jeans with like a t-shirt tucked in with a suit jacket on, three of them. Like, come on guys. Might work now. Get out of here. <laughs> um, but they were cool. Like, it was the same three guys every week. And they were like, man, you haven't done this. You haven't done that. Your license isn't up on the wall. And it's just all these things that you need to have uh, in place for your occasional liquor license to operate properly. And by the third time they came, they were like, cool, you've done it all. We won't bother you again. Just make sure you do all these things. It's all in the checklist that we send you. Um, so they were cool, but then the council side of it was like, this used to be a florist, um, and for, to run a florist, you need 
a building that's approved for a retail space and I think some kind of workshop approval. Um, they aren't uh, public event spaces. So we had to change the building to a public space, a public building, change the planning approval from retail to... This is, this is a quick example of how backwards Subiaco Council is. We came to them saying, we have an art gallery, but we also do live music and we also do all these other, other events. Uh, what do we need to do to get this approved? And they were like, look, you can't do all of that stuff because we don't have a building approval for all of that. You're either a live music venue, which means you don't do anything but live music, and you get all this acoustic treatment done, you get all this, there's a certain set of regulations to do that, or you're an art gallery, which your floor space dramatically decreases your capacity. <clears throat> and then we, what ended up happening was from 9am till 4.59pm, we are an art gallery, so I can't have... And part of being an art gallery, the, the ratios for bathrooms to gender, it all everything changes for each building use. I'm not allowed more than 10 females in this building at one time until 4.59pm because we only have one female toilet in here. But at 5pm, when our planning approval changes to a function centre, the I could have 177 females in here using that one toilet it's insane yeah so that you know that's the kind of shit we're dealing with and we're like um yeah just learning about how all that stuff works was it was really interesting and um i've helped people in other uh councils through all of their council work like people opening businesses and going to you know change their planning approvals and all that because i got Got a good experience of how it all works. Been through the ringer, yeah. Um, have they ever tried to close you down or fine you or any of that kind of stuff or it never got to yeah, that, so that level? <laughs> Early on, we had a letter saying, hey, if uh, if you don't shut by this date, we will fine you $250,000 on the spot and then if you, don't sh if you continue to trade, it's $50,000 per day after this date so how we were like true we should probably see what all this is about yeah and that's when we went through all the planning and health and all of that right so that was the marker point where you're like oh we got to take this stuff a little bit seriously now yeah yeah but also at, at that time we thought we were out of there in like you know, we had six months yeah the first lease we were given so we're like do we need to do all this stuff like is there a temporary way around this that we can yeah, so we had to do it the hard way. <laughs> you said a little while earlier that there might only be a couple of months left here. Yeah. Well, not even now, right? Have you had a think about what the last night in here might be yet? Uh, still planning. Can't yeah. reveal anything just yet. But we have, uh, because we're all skaters that put this place together, there is a skate-related thing that's happening um, John Cahill, I hope you're in Perth while that happens. Uh, there's, yeah, just a bunch of gigs and exhibitions and stuff lined up between now and then. 
But the best part is I'm not going to clean on New Year's Day. I'm just going to leave the sticky <laughs> floors. <laughs> All the rubbish can stay in here. That's what I'm looking forward to. That's kind of fitting, right? <laughs> How do you reckon you'll feel? I don't know. I, me and Jacob were talking about it the other day. We're going to sit on the roof across the road and have beers and watch the... Uh, I'm actually going to ask if I can drive the, you know, the tractor that's going to rip the place down. Yeah. I'm going to try and have a go on that. Send that thing straight through the front door. Start it, finish it. Yeah. Yeah. And if not, maybe just have a beer and watch it. Yeah. So I I have thought about this moment so many times, um, just watching the physical building come down. Um, I think it would be interesting to see it in that form because I've seen it evolve so many times, but now seeing it as a pile of rubble would be quite fitting as the end. Well, who knows? I know you think that's where it might end. But, but who knows? We might still be here for another six years like we have been. <laughs> I was going to say, if you look at the backstory, then that's exactly how it ends up, right? Yeah. But um, yeah, I suppose we'll find out yeah. in, a, in a couple of months' time. Hey, um, thanks so much for um, having a yarn sharing a beer and um, taking us for a trip back to how it all started and what it was all about. Thank you. That was um trip down memory lane. I hope I didn't miss anything. Um, shout outs to all the OGs that were here, painting, building, doing stuff, Cam Campbell, building the pool, TK, Aaron Nanup, Rob Jenkins, Kenners, Jamie Fazakali, me, Buddy the Dog. Uh, fuck, I've probably forgotten so many people, but that was the OG squad. And then we had... Yeah, Jacob Aiken, thank you for everything that you've done. Gage Rhodes for su- constantly supplying us with the beautiful beers here. We a- actually have, I don't know if you can see through that doorway there, that light oh, box. Oh, yeah. We That's OG. One of uh, three or five light boxes that were ever made is in the corner gallery, so I'm going to have to take that down before the building gets yeah, closed. Yeah, I was going to say, unscrew that one before the um, before the tractors come rolling through. Yeah. Yeah. No, nah, very cool, Alex. I um, really appreciate having you on. Was there anyone else you wanted to give a shout? I don't want to cut you off. All the, <laughs> man, every band that's ever played here, like, thank you for putting up with this shitty PA that we have. Um, <laughs> all the artists that have painted murals in here on the inside and the outside, all the artists that have exhibited here, all of the theatre that's happened in here, the comedians that do stand up in here, uh, the models that do life drawing every Wednesday in here. Fuck, Sarah Carklands, thank you for all your help. Uh, man, I've probably forgotten so many people, but yeah, I just want to thank everyone that's been part of this. Cal, thank you for annoying me f- as much as you have for the, <laughs> the last uh, five years of working with you. Um, but yeah, I'm so happy that I met Cal here because that just led to a million other things. Um, yeah, and then obviously the owners, like, thank you, Tony, Damon, Chad, Brett, uh, letting us do literally whatever the fuck we want in here, building a skate park, like, they thought that was hilarious. Um, yeah, it's very supportive of the Corner Gallery, which is wicked. Um, yeah, and thank you, Subi Council, for finally approving us to allow all this stuff to happen, and... No, there's a lot of love. Um, oh, shout out James Giddy, last one. Almost forgot yes. him. <laughs> Giddy was our first intern here. Really? Yeah, man. The he one was, and only. Yeah. He, uh, he used to help clean up and he'd paint the walls and do all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Go pick up the beers. See? Humble beginnings, yeah, my man. friend. <laughs> Thank you, Giddy. I love it. I reckon that's a good place to leave it. Hey, thanks again, Alex. It's been awesome to 
have a chat and um yeah nice to nice to tell the story awesome man thanks for having me that's living the dream by gage Rhodes. gage is an indie brewer just out of frio in wa that's all about going after it and having an epic time with a few brews check them out at gagerodes.com.au thanks again for having a listen subscribe so you don't miss an app share it with your mates chuck us a rating and get in touch if there's someone you want to hear from on the potty i'm jamie burnett cheers <laughs>